All right. Hi, everybody. This is the Sometimes Sensical Podcast. I'm Drew Kapner. I'm Shadrach Biggs. I'm Grant Rasmussen. I'm James Wengler. So, guys, um, I just want to get a sense for your hair trajectory throughout life. <laughs> that was just not kind- what I was expecting. Could you just kind of tell me, like, where you've been and where you're going? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I can start. Grant starting? Okay. Yeah, I've had a lot of thought about this. So, growing up, I've always, even till now, I basically had the exact same hair. Just, like, kind of apart on my left side. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, just like a comb over. But a comb over like implies I don't have hair on the top of my head, <laughs> but like I, it's just like normally neatly combed. For, but for after... you, forty-one listeners, let the record show: Grant is half bald. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think my hair is my greatest asset. Um, yeah, it's uh, so it's been pretty consistent. Um, but after graduation, I think I'm gonna grow out and have a man bun. Wait. Oh, for real? Really? Yeah. Dude. I thought you were trying to be a lawyer. Yeah. No, uh, I, that's how you connect with like millennial clients and stuff. They only trust people with man buns. <laughs> that's not true that's of bad. me. Yeah. Teach at BYU law. No, I I think I look good. I think I want to try it. Wait, are you gonna are you gonna pair it with the you know good old like Viking beard? As much as I can grow, yeah. Hmm. So once you go into the professional class, you're going to grow a man bun. Yeah. Why not now? Um, not now because. Uh, BYU's honor code dress and grooming standards uh, which I uphold they want us clean cut trimmed everything good uh, so it depends on how you identify clean cut yeah like as let me say I believe technically your hair is supposed to like your ears are supposed to be showing basically and yeah something place. like that BYU so, incredibly religious place but with a man bun, you can still perform a lot of those religious activities that you would off campus. Actually, we should have a whole episode on the honor code. That'd be pretty interesting. So, so Shadrach, uh, kind of where have you been on your hair journey? Right, and, and where this, do you see yourself my going? hair journey is a story and a half. So, but when, by the way, when did you get the perm? <laughs> you liked it? It was like uh, it was this week. Um, I'm pretty self conscious about it. I didn't know if I was going to shower it out, but um, <laughs> well, now I feel like turning my camera off. But uh, anyways, um, so my story is is long. Here we go. I'm just kidding. It's not that long. Um, so basically. I didn't care about my hair until literally 
uh, like, okay. So basically I, I grew up and I just pushed my hair down in front of my face, kind of like emo style, like, like this kind of like, you know, over my forehead, just to my eyeballs. And I would not touch my hair when I woke up in the mornings and I would just go to school. This happened all the way through high school and it was one of my greatest detractors. <laughs> okay. Like it, it was the thing that most detracted from your look you're saying. Exactly. And people, um, people did not find me as attractive, um, with that. But when I left high school, because and, you weren't showing enough forehead for them, they wanted yeah, yeah, you to show yeah. a little forehead. I wasn't scandalous enough. Um, so they, they, uh, and now I have plenty of forehead to show. Jeez. Um, but they, uh, basically when I left on my mission is when I started taking care of my hair and like actually doing it. And so when I got home and people from my high school started seeing all of these pictures of me with like, actually take like my hair taken care of people like started reacting, sending me messages like, holy cow, you look so much better. Like, <laughs> like you, you are much more like you, you look like an actual person now, like you're, you're put together. <laughs> um, basically just by taking care of my hair, I, I like upgraded attractiveness quite a bit. Um, and, uh, it's obviously not taken care of right now. And I'm very lazy nowadays. I just put it in a hat usually, but, yeah, it's uh, it's been a journey. Um, never figured out hair until I was on my mission, and um, because on my mission, our and for those of you who are listening, mission, a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Um, I had the leader of my area, the the mission president. He had a rule that every missionary's hair had to be parted, and like actually taken care of and so we had i had to find since you had just recently started perming it yeah yeah it was pretty difficult um so i had to i had to start you know doing the comb over like grant with a, with a part of my hair and now i just pushed it all back so that's that i guess it wasn't as long as i thought huh do you have any pictures yeah, I want to see pictures of Emo Thespian uh, Shadrach. Yeah, let me, uh, Drew, start talking and I'll pull some up. Oh my gosh. Um, right, that was my wife reacting to the length of Drew's hair right now. <laughs> gosh, is it that bad? Quite long. <laughs> well, obviously, this it looks terrible right here. <laughs> okay, so, well, I haven't, I haven't spoken publicly about this yet. And it's a sensitive topic, so. Um, I feel like this just got more serious. All right, so when I was a kid, my hair was short, you know, just kind of buzzed or close to that for a long time. And then I decided that I needed to, to grow out my hair. And so I did what most eight-year-olds do. I brought, invited my parents into my bedroom, sat them down on my bed. I sat on the floor cross-legged, said there's something important I need to talk about. Um, 
and said, uh, look, uh, I don't know how to say this, and I know you guys are going to take this pretty rough, um, but uh, I want to grow out my hair. And they burst out laughing. Wow. <laughs> so, so, uh, well, they were probably thinking that you were going to about to have a really hard conversation with them. Wait, did this actually happen? Like you sent, you sat down with Jenny and we're like, I'm growing my hair out. Yeah. And also when it went so well, um, I was like, oh, and I guess also, by the way, while we're at this, I want to quit karate. <laughs> I don't know you took karate. Yeah, yeah, I quit karate mostly because I ended up. I had like been working for several years to get to the part of karate where you could start sparring, and I got like these red pads. They were like you know the hand pads and the head pads and the foot pads, and I was like excited about it. And on the first day of sparring, my sister's friend punched me in the stomach. And knocked the wind out of me, and I was like, I don't have to deal with this. This is ridiculous. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I, I've seen you do push-ups. You know, I used to do push-ups every morning, shirtless, and it was, I mean, highlight of my day. Well, yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, I did long hair for a while, kind of a Justin Bieber type of a thing. Hated the fact that he had it as well. Um, and then I shortened it back up for high school. And kind of carried that rough sort of thing. Well, the interesting thing about high school is I used to, I pushed it together into more of a faux hockey thing in the beginning. And then towards the end, I started pushing it to the side. Um, and then when I was in Brazil, I would get my hair cut by some kind of like uh, kind of gangster hairdressers, for lack of a better word. Um, and they would do some some interesting things. Anyway, it's been kind of the same-ish until earlier this year um, when literally when, when Shadrach and I were starting the accelerator that we went through earlier this summer, I felt like I had no time for anything. And so I guess just, I just kept not getting a haircut. And then it was all of a sudden very long, and I was like, uh, let's just ride this out, I guess. And uh, here we are. Here we are. I like it. Yeah, um, yeah I found some pictures of me. Ooh, so this is back in, my, back in the day when I actually also had really horrible acne. So this is quite fun. So first image. I used to, I used to uh, shave my, like, buzz cut my head just so I didn't have to do my hair so this is like a picture of me with a buzz oh cut oh my gosh is that right after you got out of rehab yeah exactly <laughs> yeah why do you have that like that crazy right look you on your face because like... I just hiked a, <laughs> like I just finished a hike or something okay um, you look you're good looking out. rough there and then it's like kind of hard to see, but basically I would just, this is my hair taken care of. Like I would like comb it down. Nice. Um, it was really straight that. though. That was like pretty rough. Like my normal, my normal day. 
it's uh let let's let's hear James's, and then we probably uh, gotta. My, yeah, my my hair journey's kind of kind of funny actually. So, growing up, I was the oldest of five kids, and so we never like we never paid for haircuts. So my mom would just cut my hair, and my mother is talented in many many regards, but uh, knows how to do one haircut. <laughs> and so her haircut was just short, right? It was cut your hair short. Um, and so my hair would only alternate between like a bowl cut, you know, like a like really long shaggy and then super short. And so I'd go through cycles and be every like three or four months I'd get my hair cut. Um, but uh, yeah, and then I kind of started during college, I cut my hair pretty short. Um, and now, it, it, actually from very similar sources you drew, I just didn't have time to get my hair cut in med school. And so at one point I started pushing it back, like from my hair, because I, I would wear hats a lot. And I just kept doing that and kept doing that. And uh, that's kind of where we're going. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get cut anytime soon. I'm kind of like pushing it back. I'm gonna oh my gosh. Does a, well, does Amanda know? Because you're just a few steps behind me and she was horrified at my hair. <laughs> <laughs> my hair doesn't lie quite as flat as yours, if you've noticed. Um <laughs> I look like Frankenstein this morning, but you know. So how, maybe you know she likes really the funny, volume. Maybe she does like the volume. But you know who has a really funny hair story? Is this kid Oliver? Because <laughs> he had so much hair when he was born, or what? He so he was born with so much hair, um, and as he's grown up, he's kept his hair, but only in a couple spots. So I don't know if you can tell in the video, but the back of his head is has really long dark hair, and then. In the front of his head, he has these two strands. Can you see those? Oh yeah. my gosh, you're right. He has these two really long strands of hair, and then he's kind of bald on top. Oh, that's... So, <laughs> like, the only hairdo we can do for him is a unicorn horn. Um, I'll send you pictures of it, but it, it's nice. really funny because he has, he has all this hair, and it's like his head has kept growing, but the hair has stayed put, and the head's just kind of grown around it. And So anyway... Gosh, Oliver, Oliver's hair story rough. I think is a lot more interesting than mine. But yeah, you can even see in the video he's got like these little horns. That is so funny. <laughs> I didn't, hadn't realized that. Yeah, that's my hair journey. I'll probably keep growing it up. Well, here's the, deal. here's the deal. I think we all commit right now to start growing man buns. Just we do it together. And uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Drew's I'm in, there. but after I, I'd April say Drew's already there. Yeah, Drew is Drew is definitely already there. Drew, I could do it. Go. It's not part of my journey. It's just not. That's just not, not part of my path. Journey. I think so. Drew, follow your bliss. Your bliss is a man bun. Yeah, we do I it think together. It is. Hey, sometimes sensical podcast. How else are we going to differentiate each other on the like the our our album art? Yeah, we, we can't all buns. have man buns. Oh, okay, you're we saying we all have to, so it's... Yeah, we all have to. Yeah. Wait. Maddie's, Maddie's going to have to redo the the the, the artwork. What's funny Worth is she, it. Should, she should redo it right now, so that way we all have man buns, and people are going to think that we have man buns. It'll just be That's one way to commit to this. Because they've never That's seen one our way pictures. to commit to this. They're just going to think because of our cover art. Anyways, I feel we like could we could rebrand for 20 minutes, but... Four man buns. Uh, 28 minutes, but who's going? All right, I'm cutting it. I'm cutting it. Let's let's get to the the meat.
No, you're, we're not cutting it. Man buns. <laughs> yeah. You can't get away. All right. <laughs> Speaking of creating images that aren't real, um, evidently, Shadrach was exposed to some images produced by Stable Diffusion this week, and it was a mind-expanding experience. Yes, it was. Was that your first time you saw that stuff? That was my first time I've heard of any of that stuff. So, Drew, for context for everyone, Drew and I, our company that we're working on together is very developer-centric, and so we go to developer meetups occasionally, and we went to one where there was a lecture on Stable Diffusion, and it was absolutely mind-boggling to me because it was the first time i've ever heard of it um and like the process of the breakdown of the images you know that are in its data data bank or whatever um and then just being able to type in literally anything i want and have it produce a somewhat useful somewhat realistic image was just absolutely mind-boggling the piece that got me the most though was when he went to the website, this person does not exist. It just, it threw me. It, I was like, no, that's a real person. Like (laughs) there's no way that that image was generated so perfectly to look like a legitimate human being. Cause especially in the, in the, in the examples that he was doing beforehand, all the faces of the people in the images was a little distorted. So I was like, oh, maybe he just hasn't figured out faces yet. And then we went to that website and I was like, no, no, this, no, this is real. This, I don't, but like, there's, it's, it's like something my brain is still trying to wrap its head around that those people aren't real. Cause like my brain sees an image and it's like, yep, that's a real person. Cause that's how it's been for the past 25 years in my brain. And now I'm seeing images and I'm like, nope, that's not real. But my brain's like, no, for the past 25 years, we've seen that kind of stuff. Like, that's it. So my mind is tripping. Now you're, now you're really going to trip when you hear this. So whenever I show you like mock-ups and stuff that have pictures of people in them, those pictures are from this person is not real. No way. Yeah. No way. That's, that's where I get them from. Mm. That's where you get them from? Yeah. Nah. It's true. For real? Really, Holy. really, truly. So you've been seeing fake people for a long time now, actually. Sorry to say. That hurts my brain to think about. Like, that is just so incredible, like, where AI is at. And some on a similar, similar note, this also blew my mind. There was a guy at the development or the developer meetup who also said that he uses AI to, like, write novels. And he just like puts in a prompt and it'll write a novel for him. And he just goes through and edits it. Like how mind boggling is science guys? Yes. Yeah. So that would be, um, GPT three. So over the last few years, there have been a, it's, uh, okay. So, Actually, let's talk about this a little bit. So, 
The reason we're seeing a ton of this stuff right now is a confluence of a bunch of factors. Um, so one of these factors is um, these models learn from data in a way similar to how our brains learn from life experience, right? And so they see tons and tons of data. And after seeing so much of it, they're able to pick up on the, the subtlest sort of um, intuitive patterns. And these patterns get built into, into the model in such a way that they can predict and generate um, in, in ways that are really close to the natural world that they've observed through consuming all of this data. And so the rise of the internet has, was kind of the first, like, well, maybe second thing that, that happened that enabled this. The first thing that happened is just that cognitive scientists and computer scientists started to think about modeling the human brain um, and so we can maybe talk about this if we want, but like, uh, we'll talk about it only if you guys are interested, but they really closely started to build computational systems that modeled the, the, the cells in our brain and how they behave and create these circuits in our brain. Um, and they figured out that it worked like you can create something that can be programmed by data that you feed into it um, just by modeling the human brain computationally. So that was a long time ago, decades and decades ago. And when that first happened, people got excited and they were like, this is the beginning of, uh, of artificial intelligence. Then Terminator it, 1 came out. Then Terminator 2 came out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, keep going. So... At that point, we were really constrained um, by a couple of things. And one of those things is was the amount of data that I just mentioned. We just didn't have these huge internet-based data sets that we have now. And then the other thing was computational power. So for a long time, we just uh, would have used traditional CPUs, central processing units, to do this kind of work to train these models. And it's very computationally intensive work. Um, and with Moore's law, um, which basically says, you know, that the um, amount of computation that you can do on the same size chip uh, doubles every year. Um, we, we quickly got better, better and better hardware so that we could start doing these computations. Um, now, Moore's Law has sort of broken in recent years, but what's come in are specialized chips called GPUs or graphical processing units, which initially were really made for, for, for like video games and stuff like that. But these GPUs are really good at doing um, this a type of parallel processing that is amazing for training these, these models. Um, and so... With those three things all coming together just in recent years, um, we've started to get these 
really insane models. Um, and so a couple of those are GPT-3, which is this, this human language model, and Dolly, um, which is this, uh, this image model. And the re those two models specifically have been produced by the same organization, um, and OpenAI, which OpenAI, um, probably the, the, the real advancement that they've done is they've built a massive mind boggling pipeline to consume just vast amounts of data from the internet. So what they've really done is operationalized the, the amount of data that's available on the internet at a scale that, that hasn't really been done before. Um, and that's why the models that they've produced have been so astounding. Um, anyway, I could go on and on. Sorry. I was just trying to give a, give a little bit of a historical technical no. baseline. No, and I, I want you to go on and on because this stuff is seriously, it's destroying my mind and I just want to know more. Um, but yeah, we probably don't have time for that. Um, one thing that I was thinking of, cause, uh, in this, in this, uh, in this meetup, the host was talking about how this raises a lot of concern with like journalists who are, you know, if there's ever like a, a picture of a, you know, a well-to-do person and, you know, it leaks or something, someone generates a, a horrible image of somebody doing something. It, it could destroy reputations and like if it was published and even if it was published, destroyed the reputation and then they came out and said that that was fake, it still does its damage, right? So um, there's this whole, you know, scenario where you have to be really extra cautious nowadays. But then the other thing, maybe a little bit more serious and probably, you know, very destructive to human society is the fact that the the artists who work for police officers are going to lose their jobs did you did you just come up with that <laughs> you know, i was just thinking about it i was like you know how the crime is committed i know i was trying to build it up as this absolutely horrible thing um which it is i for those you know i think we have three or four people in our audience who are uh you know those artists uh, <clears throat> who work for police officers so um Apologies to you, condolences, but basically, yeah, like if, if I witness a crime, I don't need to talk to a sketch artist and try and like reimagine the guy. I can literally just type in my prompt. I can just describe the person and have a computer auto-generate a much more realistic image, like something that could potentially be more useful to police officers. That is crazy to me, right? Yeah. Or not. It's cool. It might just be my head. My head. I don't know. <laughs> no, well, I, I, I really agree with you. Um, so my area of research that I am pursuing for my PhD is is like machine learning and you know, medicine, essentially. I do apologize. All of us hook up being in the background. But um, I with with... You know, so I've been following this pretty closely, and I think it's very easy to be an alarmist about this kind of thing. Like, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. we'll never be able to trust our eyes again. But I, I saw this point raised by a an AI, an AI researcher. He's like, look, 
this 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 kind of thing's been around for years. You know, Photoshop, things like that. But whenever you see a photo that you don't believe, your first instinct is, oh, that's that's been photoshopped. You know, like if someone showed me a picture of me doing something that I knew I didn't do, my first instinct would be, oh my gosh, I must be, you know, I must have amnesia. My first thought is, oh, you photoshopped, you edited it. You know, and it's become so much easier with AI. Let's you know, let's make that clear. So much easier and potentially more damaging. But I think that, you know, we've had the ability to edit things for years. We've had the ability to manipulate video and, and photo, you know, deep fake videos, things like that. Um, and technology has gotten a lot better. But at the same time, the technology we, are, we have to combat those kind of things is also getting better. So I'd be very surprised uh, if in the next little bit we don't see models specifically trained to identify stable diffusion images. That's, you know, a, I, that's a very fair point. I'd like I just I can't imagine that the we're you know the only one side is going to keep up in the arms race. You know? Up until right now, I had literally just been so baffled by this that I had totally forgotten about Photoshop and how real that is as well. So that's a good point. And maybe it maybe it's just my wow factor because this is the first time I'm ever hearing about this, but like it it probably is not as scary legitimately as, as I'm making it out to be. Or I mean, I, I, I think it's really cool. Like, it, that's incredible to me that we've trained computers to do that. Oh, and yeah. Drew brought up a really good point is one of the huge factors was just access to data, right? Like, that with the internet, we just, you're able to churn through images and a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about, oh, if you post something to a public profile on Facebook, is that allowed to be trained on as an image, you know, things like that. Um, one of the, the, the big obstacles in my research is getting data because it's patient data. And it's really, really, really hard to get comprehensive data sets. So, well, in industry, we're seeing these incredible things like AI models that can, you know, generate crazy pictures. And it's really cool. Um, and we're not seeing that in the medical sciences as much right now because we're running into such an issue with getting enough patient data to really make a difference because the HIPAA exists to protect patients and that's really important. HIPAA is super important, but we have so many different like electronic health, electronic health records, different ways to store the data, different companies have different sharing laws or sharing practices. So it becomes very difficult to get all that data. Grant, do you think you could beat an AI in court? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I yes. Well, right now, even uh, some of the legal uh, research platforms, they have these like brief analyzers. So basically, you can submit your brief, and then it'll like, or you could submit your own, or you could submit the opposition's brief, um, and it will like find weaknesses. It'll find like cases that you may have overlooked. It'll find cases that, you know, aren't good law anymore. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily AI, but it's, uh, I mean, it is the computer uh, doing it all. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, I could see that. Um, and that I, I've, I know we've had a lot of like trainings on it. So I imagine like in, in a lot of different law firms, people are using that. But I, I think it's also just, it's only as good as data put into it. Because um, sometimes there's errors. Um, sometimes it's, 
it's not as accurate or as comprehensive as the research I would do. But uh, it's pretty good. It it does a pretty good job. So I could see that being a big help um, for attorneys. I think just like how Excel, like everyone thought Excel was going to wipe out all of the accountants. It actually created a lot more jobs for accountants because people could, rather than spending all your time making calculations, you could uh, use all of your time in, you know, forecasting and, and um, different uh, hypothetical situations. So I think that will open up a lot of time for attorneys to make better arguments if the research is done by computer. So it'll be fun to see. Yeah. I think you bring up an interesting point, which is like, you know, just to, to get a reality check right now, even the most sophisticated models are are pretty narrow in scope. And so I think you're kind of right, and I think that's what you're saying, that right now what they are are just like amazing tools to kind of like superpower right. humans. Um, but there is... There is an, an end case... I think where you get something much more general and that's, that's where the scary stuff is obviously. And I think, um, I, I don't know that I have a sense for how fast we get there. One thing that I will say though is with GPT-3, which is that super advanced language model, um, human language is so tied to cognition um, that I think if, if, if the general case does happen, we will probably have backed ourselves into that via these language models. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. What I think it's a great point. Oh, sorry, Grant, go ahead. No, you go for it, James. Well, I was just gonna say it's a great point that you know, you know, stable diffusion, Dolly, are really, really good at one thing. You know, if you tried to play chess against them, you'd win. You know, they can't even play chess, kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, and like you said, the true scary stuff is where we get a model that can do anything and that's that's an open model open area of research with games right so we have models that are really good at chess models that are really good at back end and but few models that can learn any new game and do it there's a couple that exist um but uh that's the whole point of big data right is when you train a model on a bunch of specific data it becomes really good at one specific thing um and just one thing i was thinking about so there's a lot of uh, fear in the medical community that AI is going to take take jobs, kind of like Excel and accountants, you know, <laughs> Grant. Um, and I and I personally don't share those fears as much because I think that AI will help us reduce a lot of human error, um, like mm. like reading radiology, you know, reading uh, reading a, a radiograph, reading reading a, a slide in pathology is often critical to making a diagnosis, and 
human error can happen there. If you get a radiologist that's on his 26th hour of a 28-hour shift, realistically, that 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 slide he's reading is not going to be read as efficiently as if you just give it to an AI model. You know. Um, so I think that AI and medicine can really help us decrease some of the human errors we're seeing, especially with overworking and, and you know, too many patients and too few doctors kind of issue that we see sometimes. But uh, yeah, it's interesting to think about. I yeah. wonder, I wonder, you know, in, in 20 years, 30 years, I'm a, if I'm a practicing physician in a, hopefully in a big cancer center somewhere, what kind of tools am I going to be using? Am I am I going to am I going to submit my patient slide to a pathologist, or radiologist, or am I just going to toss it into a model? Am I just going to put it on the cloud and have the cloud spit back and tell me, oh, they have a mutation here, here, and they look like they have pneumonia because there's water in their lungs, and you know whatever yeah. it may be. I I think that that you're you're bringing up an interesting point that is probably a different topic, but like we always with medical advances for centuries. We've always thought, oh, this is going to take away jobs. But there's always been jobs. Yes, there's ebbs and flows. Like, yes, maybe for a short period, those jobs will go away and people don't know what to do yet. But there's always jobs to be had. Um, there's always jobs to be filled. And so, like, you know, people people are afraid of these things. And, and that's okay. Like, yes, those jobs will be taken away, but other jobs in other areas will, will open up, right? Like, when we have mass production lines started, I mean, yes, it took away some of the people on the line, but there was plenty of new jobs that were created to build those machines, to maintain those machines. And, you know, it just it just changes. And and that's always something that it's like, sure, something, some robot's going to replace me someday but you know it doesn't mean that i'm out of a job right it's it's i just need to change so um very interesting thoughts grant can you speak at all to like because uh, one of the things that sorry this is kind of changing topics um a little bit but can you speak at all to like copyright law so if, if i train a model right say say i'm the owner of stable diffusion um, and I've trained my model on tons of images and that model generates an image that looks like a work of art. Who owns that image? Is it me? Is it the people whose data it was trained on? Have you guys discussed that at all in the, in the law circles and, and kind of how does that work? Um, it's a, that's a good question. I know it's a, it's an issue of the law that's still being decided. Um, I'm in an intro to IP into uh, an intro to intellectual property class right now and yeah our professor has said uh this kind of area of the law is still kind of coming out um so i i don't know one way or the other but i would imagine that if if you're training your model to use like images open to public use like like the creative commons then I imagine then that you would be able to own your own images, like your the images that the AI creates. But yeah, once you start getting into like using not publicly, like public domain images, I'm not sure. I wonder if there will have to be some sort of licensing um, agreement or, uh, yeah, I don't know. 
I'm not sure. I, 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 I could see it being a tricky issue. I, I think it, that's the exact word that I was going to use. It's tricky. Like it, because the way that someone, we've had this whole conversation in the meetup as well. The way someone else described it was like, I mean, what if I, if I see an image that you created and it inspires me to create a similar image, but it's still unique to me because I created it mm -hmm. and I changed some things from it. It's like, what, where do you draw the line between theft and like inspiration? Or can this be considered a parody? Like, uh, or a, like almost like cover music where it's like, you're seeing the same thing, but it's your own version of it. So it's like, it, that's where it gets so tricky to, to anyone where it's like, are you stealing or are you being inspired by mm -hmm. this? Or are you performing a parody of this? Like, you know, it, it, I think it goes down to a lot of like your intentions behind it. Like, are you trying to rip somebody off? Are you trying to, you know, make money on someone else's work? Um, but if it's truly unique to you and to the world, I don't know. Cause that's where IP law sits now is, is the idea or is the cover or is the art novel, right? Like, um, I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting topic. We'll have to watch it as we go. Yeah. But yeah, man, I hope, uh, I hope all 41 listeners are enjoying this conversation as much as I am. It's, it may not be like, it, like super funny or like, you know, blown up, but it is still to this moment, just mind boggling to me. Just like, holy cow. Yeah. Next, I think next we need to talk about the next episode. We need to talk about the uh, metaverse and uh, Neuralink and problems with uh, problems and uh, potential with with that interesting that'll be a fun conversation James looks uh, really excited is James against the metaverse or I I think that uh, you know if I start talking about this I'm gonna be talking about it forever but uh, in terms of the metaverse I think there's Potential for a conversation there, and, as, and Oliver is also expressing his opinion. <laughs> Oliver, potential for a conversation there. Well, well Oliver's actually in the metaverse. Um, let's maybe save that. That might be a good conversation for next week. Let's maybe save our thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah, we should all we should all read up on it this week, and that that's yeah. also the problem with discussing stable diffusion in these models is they're so new. We don't know, you know. We, we know so little about what these models, how they're going to impact society. We can speculate, you know, but I, I foresee a point where potentially we'll need these other models trained to distinguish between AI generated and not AI generated models, images, you know, because an AI generator, if you have a bunch of GPUs can pump out thousands of images. You can just flood Google images with, with, you know, stable diffusion artwork and and if, unless we kind of start to keep track of that, I can very, very easily see it difficult to, you know, if I need a project, if I need an image for a project I'm working on, how do I know where that image came from? <laughs> was it AI? Was it someone who made it? Or is someone claiming that they made it? You know, can an artist feed a prompt into AI and then publish it and say, oh, this is my artwork. You can't prove, you know. Um, so I think that the next step is going to be figuring out <laughs> how to distinguish AI versus not AI generated. And I think that our, our technology is up to it. 
Well, I, I really, I think, it's not as sexy as generating images, but I think that our technology is up for it, and I'd be surprised if we didn't see. I was say, I think I think it's it's revolutionary for me. Any project that I work on here after, like I never have to credit a source again. I can just use AI to create exactly what I want to demonstrate, and I don't have to give credit to anybody. It's nice. That's an that's a whole another ethical issue we could talk about. But we won't you, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> the headlines are going to read that I'm in a lawsuit or something. Um, yeah. Shadrick no. Biggs is being sued because his entire company is just being run by AI now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, cool. They, that was a lively discussion, at least in my head. It might not have been, but I thought it was, oh, it still is crazy to me. Um, so, but... Uh, we should probably wrap it up here. It's been going on for a bit. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, you know, tune in next time and live undaunted. Uh, yeah. I don't That's know how. To, I don't usually the do OG, the outro, so The OG create right there. That was our motto was live undaunted. I'm still trying to live undaunted every day, man. Even I don't know how to do the exams. Season, so I just did it. And homework. Um, yeah, if you haven't seen our YouTube channel, go subscribe. Um, yeah. subscribe to got this. Some, got some bangers on there. <laughs> we're, we're gonna build a subscriber list so high <laughs> without ever posting a new video. <laughs> what do you mean? We just uh, posted our land speed video. What? Oh yeah, Remember that's you right. posted a land speed video like yeah. a year after we posted any other videos. And it was like a minute long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, okay. Thanks, guys. Great conversation. Love y'all. Have a good week. We'll see you guys. Love you guys. See you next week. Bye.